right, let's take the midday roll. Clay Patton. Here. Jason Jorgensen. Here. Bob Brogan. Present. I think we have a quorum. Let's see. It's, uh, yep, Dewey's over there. He's waiting around. And uh, so let's get it going with the midday program on the Rural Radio Network. I, was, I wanted to say uh, Bueller. Yeah, Bueller. 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 <laughs> Nelson. <laughs> Nelson. Let's uh, go ahead and work it on over to Mr. Clay Patton here, who has everything that's going on in the world of agriculture for us right now. Had some gavel on uh, numbers coming out just a little bit ago that uh, indicate we've got some world idea about what the supply is going to be. Exactly, and actually corn soybeans coming in under estimates and then wheat coming in slightly over, not a whole lot, slightly over estimates though. So I've heard from several brokers already today saying that's adjustments to Middle East's, uh, Middle Eastern countries and their uh, export orders, so they've been some tweaking there, so that fluctuated that number just slightly, but yeah, Mike Zuzalo coming up here in a few minutes, I'm sure we'll completely break that down, and of course, final bell this afternoon. As for the Ag Team, we are on the road and quite busy. We've got Susan, she's in Kansas City right now at the National Agriculture Marketing Association and the National Association of Farm Broadcasters. So we're glad she's there representing us, and that gives me the opportunity here. Break down our midday coverage. We've got Chad on at 1219 with Linda Emanuel. She's a registered nurse from North Bend. She's also a community health nurse with the AgriSafe Network, and they are discussing engulfment, grain engulfment prevention and safety. That's coming up in a web sit webinar series. There we go, webinar. That's going to come up in three parts this week. Shaley's on at the 1245 with Steve Melvin, Irrigated Cropping Systems Extension Agent educator with Nebraska Extension and they're looking at the advantages of and disadvantages of in canopy versus above canopy sprinklers and then we've got Alex on at the 117 last week at the Nebraska FFA convention they packed uh, meals for the underprivileged so we hear more about living to serve all right that's uh, that's a word that we hear a lot yes involved with the FFA all right well let's see if Jason Jorgensen did his homework well, it sounds like the buy-in for the Huskers this spring with new head coach Scott Frost and his new coaching staff has been really, really good. Uh, of course, when we had Coach Frost on last week, he said, well, when you're taking over for a team that wasn't very good, usually we'll find an audience there who wouldn't mind trying to do something differently if it leads to better results. We will hear from one Husker who's been very impressed with his new head coach so far. Also, we'll talk some Nebraska and Kansas State baseball. They're scheduled to play tonight, 630 in Manhattan. I would think the weather should be pretty decent for that. A lot better than it's been for the Huskers. They will try to stop a four-game losing skid. And a couple of teams from our region are battling for a final spot in the NBA playoffs. Denver and Minnesota in the running for that final spot in the Western Conference. What do you know? All right, Bob Brogan, how about some extra credit here? Stocks are surging as the China trade tensions ease. Also uh, today, investors were looking ahead to testimony before Congress by Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. There's a few things going on in that area. Also, Nebraska lawmakers send a job licensing bill to the final vote uh, as lawmakers are a couple of days away from wrapping it up, maybe. It always sounds good when Zuckerberg says we're okay with making less money. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
Kuhlman Repair brings us our ag weather with Paul Perkins here in the middle part of the day. I have determined there are now two seasons in our <laughs> region, and they are winter and summer. <laughs> yep. You know, spring and fall, people like to think of it as seasons of transition. Mm-hmm. I look at those seasons <laughs> as seasons of ups and downs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're going to see all kinds of summer followed by another at least sneeze of winter. Yeah, yeah by Monday, Saturday looking at highs only in the 30s in many locations. <laughs> and we're talking 80 here in the next day or two? Yeah, low and mid-80s oh, over goodness. western Kansas tomorrow. Good Lord. <laughs> all right, well, let's see what you got. Okay, we do have some milder temperatures right now. Upper 40s to the low 50s, which is mild than what we even saw for daytime highs in many locations yesterday. Already up to 62 at Thetford, benefiting from those westerly winds going down slope. Uh, temperatures in the mid to upper 50s over southwest Nebraska and then some low and mid 60s in northwest Kansas and northeast Colorado. Today through Thursday, much warmer as that ridge of high pressure moves overhead. And tonight, our temperatures actually look to be milder for overnight lows than what we saw for daytime highs yesterday. Due to the warmer and drier air for tomorrow and Thursday, fire weather concerns at critical levels in all areas for tomorrow and over southwest locations on Thursday. Temperatures will be slightly cooler but still mild on Thursday over Nebraska and parts of northern Kansas with the passage of a cold front. But that cold front looks to be slower to arrive over southwestern locations on Thursday. So those fire weather concerns, especially there where it's drier, will be higher a stronger cold front arrives for Friday with some small chances of rain and yet again a chance at some snow. There are better chances of rain and snow for Friday night into Saturday night as an area of low pressure crosses the plains. Still some forecast model differences to work out on the track and speed of that system. Something to watch since it will impact snow amounts and the location. There is a lot of wind with that weekend system expected. That combined with some snow may impact some travel. I know driving back from work on Friday last week when it was lightly snowing, that wind blowing there impacted your travel, believe it or not. Another cold front expected next Tuesday, and that once again will keep those temperatures colder than normal. In the long-term forecast, temperatures in Nebraska look to remain cooler than normal Sunday all the way through at least April 23rd. Our Kansas temperatures are expected to start out cooler than normal early next week, then trend mostly seasonal the middle of next week through the 23rd of April. There's a high likelihood it will be drier than normal for precipitation in both Nebraska and Kansas early on next week. Precipitation for Nebraska trends above normal later next week through the 23rd. The Kansas precipitation forecast expected to be near normal. Soil temperatures set the 4-inch depth at 7 this morning, mostly in the mid to upper 30s in Nebraska, some low 40s towards the northeast. Kansas soil temperatures in the upper 30s to the low 40s. Weather factors grabbing the attention of market traders include a strong late-week storm in the Midwest and limited moisture for the southern plains across wheat areas of the southern plains. Crop ratings are at 20-year lows. The future not looking good with no meaningful precipitation expected in the next 10 days. That, along with a strong wind event expected later this week, will maintain high crop stress. More delays in spring field work and corn planting expected across the Midwest when a powerful storm the end of the week produces moderate to heavy rain, strong winds, and severe thunderstorms. Rain likely changes to snow in northwest areas of the Midwest Friday night or during the day Saturday. Field work and planting disruptions also likely in the Delta where another round of thunderstorms is forecast late in the week. 
Late season rain in central Argentina, unlikely to change the drought-damaged row crop outlook. It will benefit, though, the winter wheat soil moisture a little bit. Across Brazil, central crop soil moisture favorable for developing second crop corn. Drier weather this week, not a concern in Brazil. The dry weather in the south part of Brazil will benefit the harvest. And our ag weather with Paul, of course, brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. I'm I'm looking at this temperature map already. We're looking at 62 degrees there in that Thedford area. 60, uh, almost at Valentine already. they got to be looking around and wondering what they did right. (laughs) Yeah, they're living right right now. Of course, (laughs) westerly winds helping out those downslope winds, and I'm guessing those towns at the base of some hills, and that's really helping that warm up, too. All right. It seems to be in that case in Thedford, I know. Absolutely. There's a lot of forecast model difference right now uh, for this upcoming weekend. Any idea when we'll know better? Probably, uh, definitely by Thursday. It's not looking like a major event since a lot of the uh, energy with this will be to the uh, south, but uh, you never know. A little turn to the north and a little more moisture could change things especially as it gets colder. It's the angle of the dangle, as yeah, Exactly. <laughs> you know, all right. And 11 away from 12, we want to remind you that whenever you need weather, krvn.com. The USDA has released their WASD report today. I'm Shaylee Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a quick midday look at ag news. As expected, USDA trimmed estimates for the South American corn crop while predicting a record Brazilian soybean crop of 115 million metric tons, or 4.2 billion bushels. Argentine soybeans are expected to decline to just about 40 million metric tons, or 1.5 billion bushels, below what analysts had expected. Domestically, USDA made a small upward adjustment to U.S. corn ending stocks to 2.182 billion bushels, well within pre-report expectations. USDA also trimmed U.S. soybean ending stocks by 5 million bushels to 550 million bushels, also within pre-report estimates. These numbers were released in USDA's World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates just a while ago, and you can find report reaction and the full details on that by visiting ruralradio.com. And Brazilian meatpacker Mafrig Global Foods will purchase a controlling stake of U.S.-based National Beef Packing Company. The $969 million agreement will hand over 51% of national beef packing to Mafrig Global and would create the world's second largest beef processor. The agreement was announced Monday. A leader in the U.S. beef industry, National Beef exports to 40 countries, including Japan, which is a market currently close to beef exports from Brazil. Founded in 1992, National Beef reported sales of $7.3 billion in 2017. National Beef says its operations and management will remain unchanged in the government, as Tim Klein will continue as Be- National Beef President and Chief Executive Officer upon completion of the transaction. The transaction will require regulatory approvals, and it is expected to close in the second quarter of 2018. And the U.S. Department of Agriculture will issue $34 million to help agricultural producers recover from 2017 natural disasters through the Emergency Assistance for Livestock, Honeybees, and Farm-Raised Fish Program, which covers losses not covered by certain other USDA disaster assistance programs. These payments are being made available today, and they are part of a broader USDA effort to help producers recover from Hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria 
wildfires, and drought. A large portion of this assistance will be made available in federally designated disaster areas. From Florida, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands through the south, the southwest California, and the Great Plains, American agriculture was devastated by natural disasters in 2017, said Bill Northey, Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation. The Trump administration is moving quickly to distribute financial assistance to help producers recover and rebuild. It is important to get this help to producers in time for the spring planting season. And a group of farm organizations led by the National Farmers Union are urging Congress to address farmer suicide rates in the next farm bill. The coalition of 35 farm groups are asking lawmakers to make mental health treatment for more accessible to farmers through the Farm and Ranch Stress Assistance Network. NFU points out that farmers and ranchers commit suicide at a rate five times that of the general population. The groups sent a letter to U.S. Senate and House Agriculture Committee's leadership Monday. The letter states that the economic conditions, like seen currently, along with unpredictable weather and heavy workloads, place a significant strain on a farmer or rancher's mental and emotional well-being. The 2008 Farm Bill established the Assistance Network to provide grants to extension services and nonprofit organizations that offer stress assistance programs. However, the network has never received funding from Congress. That's a quick look at your Midday Ag News. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Chad Moyer with you here on the Rural Radio Network. This week is being observed as Stand Up for Engulfment Prevention. We're talking about grain bid safety and a, and a few different ways to approach that. Here to tell us a little bit more about it is Linda Emanuel. She's a community health nurse with AgriSafe. Linda, thanks for visiting with us here today. Linda's from the North Bend area. First of all, a little background about the AgriSafe Network and how you guys kind of came together. Thank you, Chad. AgriSafe is a nonprofit national membership organization representing health professionals and educators who strive to reduce health disparities found among the ag community. And we accomplish this through monthly webinars, on-site trainings, networking, and use of clinical resources. AgriSafe was actually formed 13 years ago by rural health nurses in Iowa as they saw a need to help reduce those disparities found in our rural health communities. Give me a little background. What is this week? What is it designed to do, Linda? So um, this week, we recognize all of the work that is done in those grain bins, and agriculture is ranked as the number one most dangerous occupation in the United States. In 2016, 23.2 deaths were reported per 100,000 ag workers. So it's important that we recognize the many dangers and hazards that exist out there. Um, there'll be an uptick in farmers emptying out their grain bins to prepare for the next growing season. And so this is a perfect time to review grain bin safety and respiratory protection. Before we talk about the webinars, maybe you can kind of run down what are those hazards that surround grain bins, and especially now this uptick in activity. What are, what are we looking at? Engulfment and entrapment. Suffocation from engulfment is the leading cause of grain bin deaths. 60% of those are from those would-be rescuers that go after that co-worker or that family that they see is in trouble. What about uh, dust or insects? You have mold, uh, other nasty things. That could be a danger if you're going in grain bins off and on and, and have a lot of exposure inside, right? Correct. Yeah, nasty things. You hit it on the nail there. So it's bacteria, mold spores, endotoxins, all of those things that can enter through our respiratory system. When you're working in those grain bins, you're breathing hard, you're shoveling, and so you're pulling in those through your oral airway, through your nasal airway. It can end up in your sinuses. It can end up going down into those tiny little air sacs into your lungs. 
cause you to have symptoms of fatigue, shortness of breath, chest tightness. And so there are ways to protect from those hazards. You said in there before that there are some webinars that are going to come up. So give us the summary. What What's uh, on the slate for webinars this week? Yes. So this week um, are the live webinars. And first live webinar is April 10th at 12 noon Central Standard Time. And that covers confined space entry. Talk about dust explosions how to prevent them, and the other hazards of working in the confined space, as well as the process of lockout, tagout. Looks like there's another one on, on respirators. Yes. Talk about the respiratory tract, how it functions, and then what happens to it when we're exposed to all those hazards and dust. Um, she'll also talk about the many different types of respirators. Tell us about the last webinar that's coming up on, on Friday. The third webinar is entitled Reducing Grain Bin Entry Risks. Covered a hazard assessment, those methods to reduce those hazards, and then the use of lifelines. They'll also talk about the buddy system. It's always good to have a second person with you at those grain bin sites. So how do we register for the webinars and how do we get more information about this information that's being made available, especially during Engulfment Prevention Week? Go on to our website, AgriSafe dot org. Look under the upcoming events tab, which is for the live webinars. They'll see the areas to register, ask you a few simple questions. After the webinar is complete, look under our quick links tab under grain safety, and that's where you can register for the on-demand webinars. Again, we've been visiting with Linda Emanuel. She's a registered nurse, community health nurse with AgriSafe Network. And again, this is Stand Up for Engulfment Prevention Week here on the Rural Radio Network. Chad Moyer reporting. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's sports time with Jason Jorgenden. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, from all the reports, there's been almost 100% buy-in to what new Nebraska head coach Scott Frost and his staff are trying to get accomplished this spring with their new team. Defensive lineman Peyton Newell says the players are certainly on board. Personally, it's huge, and I mean, like I said, all of us are on the same page. There's zero complaining. We're all here to work every single day. We have the standard. I mean, we have the GOAT as the coach. You know, you couldn't ask for a better coach. We have the number one head coach, number one strength coach in the country, and all those assistants, they make him the best. So we have the best here, and it's awesome to be able to be part of that. The Huskers worked out again this morning as they continue through their preseason work. Nebraska baseball Scott Schreiber was named the Big Ten Player of the Week. All he did was go 6-for-8 with two home runs, a double, two RBIs, and four runs scored in the Huskers' two losses against Michigan State last weekend. He continues to have a big year. He leads the Huskers in batting average, hits, doubles, home runs, runs scored, and RBIs. Now the Huskers have dropped four straight. They're in non-conference action tonight in Manhattan against Kansas State. First pitch is set for 6.30 Central Time. Jacob Junis carried a no-hit bid into the seventh inning as the Royals ended up routing Seattle last night 10 to nothing at Kauffman Stadium. Manager Ned Yost admits he didn't realize that Junis was pitching so well. When he started laboring in the fourth, you know, and then really started laboring in the fifth, when he came in, I told Dale, I said, if he labors in the sixth, I'm getting him out. You know, I'm going to get him out of there. And then I looked up and saw that he had a no-hitter, which I was completely oblivious to at that point. I thought, well, maybe I'll change my mind here a little bit. Yeah, he just... Uh, just threw the ball well. It was another solid performance for Junis, who's now 2-0 and on the year. It's, it's a third shutout of the season so far for the Royals. They will host the Mariners again tonight. Two of the more successful men's basketball programs in the region have agreed to play one another in the future, as Creighton and Oklahoma will square off. The first leg of the series will take place in Oklahoma, while Creighton will host the Sooners during the 2019-2020 season. Both the Jays and Sooners qualified for this past year's NCAA tournament. And there's only one spot left in the NBA playoffs. It'll go to either Minnesota or Denver. New Orleans, San Antonio, and Oklahoma City all clinched playoff first by winning last night. 
Now, yesterday's triple clinchings didn't change the standings. The order of the top eight remains the same going into the next to last day of the regular season, but it certainly will not stay that way. That's a look at sports. Have a great afternoon. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. In the News Center, this is Brandon Bennett. An Omaha woman has pled guilty to federal tax evasion. 37-year-old Becky Neve faces up to five years in prison. A fine of up to $250,000 or both could be imposed at her sentencing on July 2nd. Prosecutors say Neve underreported her business receipts and overreported her expenses for the tax years 2011, 2012, and 2013. The back taxes, the penalties, and the interest add up to around $137,000. Authorities have released the name of a woman stabbed to death outside of her home on the west side of Sioux City. She's been identified as 24-year-old Kenya Alvarez Flores, and authorities have arrested and charged 20-year-old Melissa Carmago Flores of Dakota City, Nebraska. Her attorney didn't immediately return a call today from the Associated Press. And I'm sure you've noticed gas prices are moving up again. The average price for a gallon of regular rose 8 cents in the past two weeks to $2.74. Industry analyst Trilby Lundberg with a Lundberg survey says it's driven primarily by higher crude oil prices. This current price is about 30 cents higher than it was one year ago, and it too uh, comes mainly from higher crude oil prices. Your mileage may vary, though. The average high price in the lower 48 states was in San Francisco at $3.63 a gallon for regular unleaded. The lowest was Baton Rouge, Louisiana at $2.37. AAA says the average price of regular gas in Nebraska is $2.54 a gallon. For the ninth year, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and the University of Wisconsin Population Health Institute have released a report that shows how nearly every county in the United States is doing and what gaps persist. Some of the factors looked at include smoking, alcohol and drug use, obesity, and high school graduation rates in income inequality. The group's Matt Trujillo says rural counties still struggle more than urban counties to provide equal opportunities. In order for folks to live the healthiest life possible, it's important to remove barriers, things like residential segregation, low-paying jobs, poor quality education, so that everyone does have that equal opportunity to be healthy. Trujillo also says that since the data collection began nine years ago, some communities have successfully employed strategies to close the opportunity gap. One of which is Kansas City that have really taken a concerted effort to address disparities and had community coalitions, community members speak with each other to address the issue of disparities head on. When it comes to education, the report showed that one in every five youths in bottom performing counties in America does not graduate from high school in four years. More information is available at countyhealthrankings.org. The owner of Yonkers Department Stores has told the Nebraska Labor Department that it intends to close both Omaha stores. The Omaha World Herald reports the closings are expected to be permanent and affect nearly 360 employees. And authorities say an eight-year-old boy was struck and killed by a school bus that had dropped him off not far from his northeast Omaha home. Police say the Haj Mohammed was hit when he tried to run across the street ahead of the bus as it resumed its route. He died shortly after arriving at the Nebraska Medical Center, and the accident is being investigated. Our app is the perfect companion to your phone. Download it free at the App Store or on Google Play. In the News Center, this is Brandon Bennett. 
Irrigation season is not that far off. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and today we're going to visit with Steve Melvin. He's an irrigated cropping systems extension educator with Nebraska Extension. Steve, you have put together, you originally did this for the 2018 Central Plains Irrigation Conference, but have put together kind of a long-form look at center pivot irrigation, some of the advantages, disadvantages, and we're going to talk more specifically today about in-canopy versus above-canopy sprinklers. Irrigation has come a very long way, and so producers are needing to make updates, or maybe they're looking to put a brand-new system out on some of their fields. And so let's just jump into a little bit, talking about maybe some of the advantages as we start to look at center pivot irrigation and the options there. Yeah, that's for sure. And and I think... um Sometimes we take a look at at the advantages and disadvantages. Maybe that's the best way to take a look at it here. You know, if we talk about the advantages of in-canopy sprinklers, you know, the the benefits uh, will be smaller the farther east you would go, you know, kind of draw a line across the state of Nebraska, maybe a Grand Island, uh, and say east of there, you know, humidities are higher, more rainfall. Uh, each year they need to pump less water to fully water the crop. And so, you know, if you do save a percent of the water, you know, on six or eight inches, they might pump in that area. It's going to be less. Uh, certainly going to be a better advantage as you go farther west and uh, in, in the south, uh, you know, as you get into higher uh, irrigation requirements. So, you know, whatever percent you save is of a bigger amount. So it's going to be a, a bigger amount. Certainly the lower humidities and, and uh, things are going to increase the advantages as well. The advantage is going to be larger for a low-capacity well, you know, because a lot of the water that's lost when you've got the uh, the canopy wet. And so if you've got a 400-gallon-a-minute well, it takes twice as long to put on an inch of water on that field as if you've got an 800-gallon-a-minute well. And so, you know, the lower the capacity of the irrigation well, the more advantage there would be. And, and there's certainly, you know, in some parts, some, some systems where they are, you know, got some really low capacity wells anymore that have, you know, they've either dropped off or they just never were that good. And in those areas, it would be a bigger advantage for being down in a canopy. And so as you talk about the advantages, Steve, maybe break it down when you look at it economically. The economic advantage, you know, if you're just so short of water because of an allocation or because of a just a limitation on the water supply, the the lower the amount of water you have, if it's low enough that each, you know, maybe half of the years you would increase the yield because you're just, you know, so low of water you can't really quite produce a fully uh, irrigated yield, you know, that's certainly going to be a bigger advantage for it as well. If we've got a, uh, you know, it's more feasible to do this, as you mentioned, with land type, you know, if we've got a flat level field that uh, has a fairly high infiltration rate, that certainly is going to be a more feasible field to do it. As we get to some slopes, it's really pretty challenging because when you put those sprinklers way down deep in the canopy, you know, the water just can't go very far through the, the uh foliage of the crop and so you really you're dumping the water you know really a lot in one place and you can get some runoff really easy and the savings you can get from going down in a canopy if you end up with any runoff at all you just you know completely wipe out any savings you might have and probably end up in a worse situation than than if you just stayed up above so runoff is really the thing that you absolutely have to avoid with a pivot 
no matter what you're doing. You just have to um, eliminate runoff. You, that's going to eliminate any savings you've got from from any of the advantages you're thinking about. Of course, no-till is a uh, big plus for being down in a canopy. I mean, it is all the way around for center pivots. Uh, you're going to increase infiltration rates, and um, that is always a plus for a center pivot. And so no-till is, is always a, a very nice complement to a center pivot. And let's flip the coin then and look at some of the disadvantages. I know there are so many factors that come into play when looking at center pivot irrigation. If we move on to some of the disadvantages then um, of being down in a canopy, typically we're bringing the sprinkler spacing in very close because we can't throw water very far. And so when we bring it down into the canopy, a lot of the uh, packages where they've you know, really focused on this and made them work, they're bringing them clear into like 30 inches apart. And so when on the outside, you know, three to five spans. And so when you bring them in that close, you're putting on a lot of sprinklers on a center pivot, and the cost goes up a lot. And so the cost is something that you really have to closely weigh with these. You know, you can end up with three or four times more dollars tied up in a sprinkler package when you're down in a canopy putting these real close spacings. And one of the biggest concerns that we have when you put them down in there, they're on, you know, a flexible hose. They have to be because it's, you know, they got to move through the canopy. Is they tend to drag back up in a, in the canopy. And with corn is the main crop I'm I'm thinking about when we're talking about this subject. And so you can have that great long hose, you know, that's clear down maybe 24 inches off the ground with a sprinkler drag back six, seven, maybe eight feet behind where it should be. And then it'll come loose and it'll swing forward, you know, five, six, seven feet. And so it stayed in one place, putting on a lot of water right in one place, and then it'll swing forward and skip over an area. And the people that have done this, you know, in the farmer experience has been that's not too big of an issue. But I guess from my perspective as a you know researcher with this kind of stuff, it just seems to me the uniformity is going to get poor enough that that you're going to end up either having to water the field extra to try and catch those drier spots or you're going to lose some yield. And that is something that we're setting up some experiments this summer to really take a closer look at because that just really seems to me to be the kind of the Achilles heel with the whole thing, if you will. So that kind of summarizes a few of the the advantages and disadvantages of in-canopy sprinklers. All right. Thank you so much. It's Steve Melvin. He is an Irrigated Cropping Systems Extension Educator with Nebraska Extension. For more on this, you can visit ruralradio.com or check out the full series at cropwatch.unl.edu. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network, let's get an assessment of these livestock futures trades today with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, kind of a choppy day once again in the uh, livestock. Uh, opened a little higher in the cattle. Did our uh, fade uh, during the uh, rest of the session, uh, uh, with the exception of the April contract, uh, which stayed pretty much higher most of the day and finished higher. But uh, the next three months, June, August, October, closed a little bit lower. Then we're back to unchanged to a little higher in the back months. So very choppy day, just uh, going back and forth. Got out a little higher at noon uh, for the choice. Uh, a lot of talk about uh, the potential of uh, 118 for cattle today, uh, which I think helped the April, but uh, 
it didn't help the uh, next three months still that fear that uh, there would be a wall of cattle so the uh, feeders uh, kind of bouncing all around finishing mixed uh, kind of following the grain markets uh, up and down and up and down but uh, finish mixed in the uh, feeders over in the hogs we're going to finish uh, mixed there also the uh, nearby April and uh, May a little bit higher the rest of them a little bit lower cash seem to be a little bit on the weak side puts the uh, April contract now uh, right on the uh, latest index and uh, the cutouts were a little bit higher at noon I think that also helped uh, the attitude at least in the first two months Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Call 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughter first two days this week. Estimated at 237,000. 16,000 more than last week. Hog slaughter, 901,000. 120,000 more than last week. The Union Bank and Trust joined forces with Nebraska FFA to host the first Living to Serve Meal Packing Service Project. In the bustling atmosphere of Pinnacle Bank Arena last Friday, during the 90th Nebraska FFA State Convention, FFA members from across the state collaborated with Union Bank and Trust volunteers to exhibit the notable FFA motto, Living to Serve. Students volunteered to pack meals to donate to local food banks. On Friday morning, I met up with Glenn Bomber, Director of Ag Lending for Union Bank and Trust, to discuss the project. Glenn, there is a huge activity going on here this morning. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on? Sure. Uh, this is the first um, living to serve project, uh, service project that uh, Union Bank partnered with the FFA to establish this. It's uh, obviously part of the motto of the FFA is living to serve, and uh, so that's what they're doing this morning. Uh, they're doing a service project. We're going to pack. 50,000 meals uh, that will go to the Lincoln Food Bank and also to the Heartland Food Bank and will be distributed then from there to, to uh, individuals that need those. And so we've got about 360 FFA students that are going to be involved in this project throughout the morning and uh, there's about 20 volunteers from Union Bank that are, that are helping kind of keep it going. Now, how did this idea come about to do this at the state convention with FFA kids? We had, Union Bank had kind of looked for something that we could do a little bit extra for or with the students when they were down here. Um, agriculture is, uh, is, is a key part of our business, obviously, as ag lenders. And um, we've been looking for a project and... Uh, it kind of became it came out of being the brainchild of some of our marketing staff and and some of the FFA people that that dreamt this up and and we worked together to kind of coordinate it all, put it together, and uh, thus far it's working the way we hoped it would. How would you say the communities around and the FFA chapters have responded to this? Very well. Um, as I said, we had 360 openings, and those filled up very quickly, and we had a, quite a waiting list of, of students that wanted to participate if there were cancellations. So, yeah, the, the response is, for the first year of it, has really exceeded our expectations. So I think we're on to a good thing. 
Well, it looks like, judging from here, it's been a great event so far, and we look forward to reporting on it in the next few years. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you very much. That was Glenn Bomber, head of the Ag Lending Division at Union Bacon Trust, with the Living to Serve Meal Packing Service Project. To get a visual of the event, the students were spread out amongst 10 tables in the upper level of Pinnacle Bank Arena, packing protein-rich macaroni and cheese meals in plastic bags. Each student in the assembly line had a specific job, including measuring ingredients, sealing the bags, and packing the boxes. The students, however, were doing more than just packing meals on Friday morning. This service project enabled them to further develop their teamwork and leadership skills to better serve the people around them, which is exactly what the FFA motto is all about. For more coverage on the 90th Nebraska FFA State Convention, head to ruralradio.com. Reporting from Nebraska Innovation Campus, which is powered by the Nebraska Soybean Board and brought to you in part by the Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Well, after all is said and done, now I guess uh, the question remains, how are we going to trade tomorrow after today's mixed trade? Well, i got to say, after all the last two weeks of hand-wringing about the Chinese and the U.S. and trade and tariffs, the, the main story, I think, for today, and in a real heavy day full of news, was, was the speech last night given by President uh, Xi Jinping um, out of China. I mean, that, that kind of kind of squelches the problem, but certainly puts a different spin on it, at least the way the media can look at it right now, and uh, at this point it feels like the, the, the U.S. has an upper hand. But starting with that, I think you can maybe make the point now that, uh, hey, we're working from a little bit of a different uh, a level from that negotiation goes, and we can focus more on what I think is the more bullish side, and that is, one, uh, the, the weather problems down in South America, and then, two, the, the planning delays. I don't want to say delays as, a, uh, as an issue at this point. More kind of the planning shift I think we could see in the southern part of the country where we move from beans to corn. All right. You also can give us an assessment of your thoughts on today's WASD report. Well, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen them bring the world corn numbers down a little bit. They, they, they played with the demand side. They dropped the uh, yields in, in Argentina and Brazil uh, pretty substantially in Argentina. Uh, but I think there's more to go. But I thought maybe they would bring those global numbers down. Uh, the U.S. numbers were unchanged, so there really wasn't much to move off of then. Uh, the next report will now be we'll focus on new crop production and, and uh, what those carryouts look like. And I think we could see some demand increases that are still going to be coming down the pipe. So I don't look for corn to go far from here. You know, July is going to run into issues here four bucks it just doesn't feel like it wants to get through it quite yet um on the kc wheat side you know the the technical action was pretty good we didn't fill the price gap but uh we did come back pretty substantially after being down late last night and the weather looks to be remain dry and, and cool down south of you guys so i don't i don't see anything really changing on those condition reports in the next couple of weeks that should be supportive and then the bean numbers uh the bean gosh i mean you know, we had uh, global stocks fall after Brazil had a, a near record crop. The Argentinian numbers came down, and and then you have the the kind of the card tipping, so to speak, of Brazil this morning, uh, announcing purchases of of U.S. soybeans. And anytime the third world's largest producer is going to come to the world's largest producer for production, you know there's there's an issue down there. Yeah, first time since 1997. You can find out more. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. Today, we've talked with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. 
Dewey Nelson reporting on the Rural Radio Network.